Well, I have to say, I, I'm impressed. Uh, when we sang the songs a cappella this morning, I, I thought you sounded great. And uh, that, was, that was really great to hear your voices blend as we were giving that uh, gift back to the, the Lord this morning. Frank Capra's movie, It's a Wonderful Life, is the, the story of George Bailey. It's played by Jimmy Stewart. It's the tale of an ordinary man with big dreams and great ambition. And when his life hasn't turned out as he had hoped, he becomes despondent and prepares to end it all by jumping from a bridge. And today's message is Jesus, the, the star who provides purpose. And in this movie, George Bailey felt as though he had no purpose in, in life. And so in the film, God sends an angel named Clarence to intervene. And Clarence takes George Bailey through a glimpse of what the world would be like had he never been born. And slowly, the unrealized impact of his seemingly mundane existence becomes apparent. And he realizes that even without knowing it, he has fulfilled his purpose in life. I have a little Christmas gift for you this morning. We're going to watch a video clip from It's a Wonderful Life. And George Bailey, in this scene, it's the final scene, he comes to his senses. And he's on the bridge preparing to take his life. And he begins begging to have his old life back, even if that means going to prison for the crime of embezzlement, of which he had been falsely accused. So I want you to watch this final scene from the Christmas classic, It's a Wonderful Life. So years later, Jimmy Stewart had this to say about It's a Wonderful Life. He said, out of all the 80 films I've made, it's my favorite. Although it earned several Oscar nominations, despite our high hopes, it won nothing. By the end of 1947, the film was quietly put on the shelf. But a curious thing happened. He said, the movie simply refused to stay on the shelf. Those who loved it, loved it a lot. And they must have told others. And they wouldn't let it die any more than the angel Clarence would let George Bailey die. And when it began to be shown on television, a whole new audience fell in love with the movie. Stewart continues, after some 50 years, I've heard the film called an American cultural phenomenon. Well, maybe so. He said, but it seems to me there's nothing phenomenal about the movie itself. It's simply about an ordinary man who discovers that living each ordinary day honorably with faith in God and a selfless concern for others can truly have a wonderful life. Today, as we celebrate Christmas, we ask three questions that are essential for us to have a wonderful life a purpose. The first question is, why did Jesus come? How do you approach the Christmas season? I think sometimes we can get a little bit jaded and, and lose the awe, the wonder of that first Christmas. We can have that been there, done that attitude. Nothing surprises us. Nothing amazes us. Nothing causes us to wonder. Even the Christmas story has become old news. It's, it's no big deal. We celebrate it at Christmas time. 
We sing carols, we give gifts, we have family celebrations, but many have ceased to be amazed at, at what God has done. We no longer are in wonder at, at what God has provided for us. We fail to realize that the God of heaven, that the creator of the universe, desires to establish a personal connection with each one of us, and he demonstrated it through the, the birth of his son, Jesus. We were originally created to live in fellowship with God, our maker, and in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve enjoyed this special closeness with God before sin entered the picture and, and disrupted the equilibrium of life. And so Jesus came to restore the harmony to mankind's relationship with his father. He, he accomplished that by living a sinless life, receiving the penalty for our sinfulness when he died on the cross as our substitute. Jesus was born that we might live. Jesus was born to die so that we might live. As we celebrate his, his birth at Christmas, uh, we can't forget his, his purpose. As, as Justin alluded to, that, that Billy Graham quote, that statement that I cannot think of the cradle of Christmas without thinking of the cross of Calvary. They, they just are intertwined. The, the past two Sundays, we've studied scriptures that, that portray Jesus as the star of peace and the star of promise. And today we look at Jesus, the star of a purpose and giving purpose to our otherwise ordinary George Bailey mundane lives. Max Lucado described Jesus like this. He said, no one could ever dream a person as incredible as he is. The idea that a virgin would be selected by God to bear himself, the notion that God would don a scalp and toes and two eyes, the thought that the king of the universe would sneeze and burp and get bitten by mosquitoes, it's too incredible. It's too revolutionary. We would never create such a savior. We aren't that daring. He said, when we create a, a redeemer, we keep him safely distant in a faraway castle. We allow him only the briefest of encounters with us. We permit him to swoop in and out before we can draw too near. We wouldn't ask him to take up residence in the midst of a contaminated people. In our wildest imaginings, we would never conjure up a king who becomes one of us. But God did. God did what we wouldn't dare dream. He did what we couldn't even imagine. He became a man so that we could trust him. He became a sacrifice so that we could follow him. He defeated death so that we could know him. It defies logic. It's divine insanity, a holy incredibility. Only a God beyond systems and common sense could create a plan as absurd as this. And then Lucado concludes, yet it is the very impossibility of it all that makes it possible. The wildness of the story is its strongest witness. Jesus came to earth that first Christmas to make it possible for us 
to have a wonderful life. Jesus came to give meaning to our lives. We learn in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The next question we must ask is, how do I respond to this gift? Well, the all-powerful Son of God left the splendor of heaven, relinquished his rights, humbled himself, walked around on this planet Earth that he had created, and it's rare that we witness such a combination of power and humility. Dee Jepson served as an assistant to her husband, a U.S. senator. She quickly became aware of the power-hungry atmosphere of Washington, D.C. Political wheeling and dealing was the name of the game, always with an eye on gaining advantage with some high-ranking officials. And Jesus' message of servanthood seemed entirely out of place there until one day when Dee observed an honored guest who visited the city. The unimportance of sophistication was brought home to me, she writes, at a Capitol Hill luncheon for Mother Teresa. In came this tiny woman, even smaller than I had expected, wearing that familiar blue and white habit, and over it a gray sweater that had seen many better days, which she wore again to the White House the next day. And as that little woman walked into the room, her her bare feet in worn sandals, I saw some of the most powerful leaders in the country stand to their feet with tears in their eyes just to be in her presence. As I listened that afternoon, I thought, don't forget this, Dee. Here in this little woman who doesn't want a thing, never asked for anything for herself, never demanded anything for herself, never shook her fist in anger, here is real power. It was a paradox. She has reached down into the gutter and loved and given. She had loved those the world sees as unlovable, the the desolate, the dying, but because they are created in the image of the God she serves, she has loved them. Ironically, seeking nothing for herself, She has been raised to the pinnacle of world recognition, receiving the Nobel Peace Prize. She is a figure known to most people, at least in the Western world, and revered by many. She has nothing, yet, in a sense, she has everything. And that's the paradox of the Christian life. You lose your life to find it. The last will be first. We die to live. We serve and are honored. We give and receive. Our culture claims it is better to receive. But Jesus promised it is more blessed to give than to receive. I'm banking on Jesus. Today is the day when most of us observe the the gift-giving aspect of our American Christmas celebration. And you know from past experience that today you are going to receive some gifts that you will really like, and you are going to receive some gifts that you will want to return on Monday. You know what I mean. It might as, we might as well be honest about it. That Chia pet from Aunt Millie 
uh, that she gave you for your office, it, it might look better back on a shelf at CVS. So when someone offers you a gift, you must decide whether to accept it or decline it. It's the same way with Jesus. He was the original gift that first Christmas. He came wrapped in swaddling clothes and, and lying in a manger. And the shepherds embraced the gift of Jesus. The wise men celebrated the gift of Jesus. King Herod rejected the gift of Jesus. He was threatened by this young upstart whom he feared might pose a, a threat to, to the throne of Herod. Still today, there are people who reject the gift of Jesus for that very same reason. They want to call the shots in their lives. They want to be king on the throne of their lives. And the implication of submitting to someone else's control, even if it is Jesus, seems at best risky, at worst insane. How could I ever trust Jesus to, to do what is best for me? You can begin to trust him when you come to recognize that he made you, that he loves you unconditionally, that he wants what is going to be best for you, that he is not a fair weather friend, but he'll be there for you for the long haul. And the more you read the owner's manual, the more convinced you will become and the more compelling he will become to you. If you have questions or doubts, I would like to recommend a couple of books to you. Lee Strobel was a Chicago Tribune reporter who was a staunch atheist. When his wife became a Christian, he thought, oh, great, she's gone and joined some cult. And so he, he set out to research Jesus and the, the claims of Christianity for the purpose of discrediting her, her newfound faith. And through this process of study and applying his trade techniques of investigative reporting, he made a startling transformation from atheism to becoming a Christian himself. His best-selling books, The Case for Christ and The Case for Faith, should be read by anyone honestly seeking to discover who Jesus is. We each must decide how we will respond to the gift of life to the fullest, which Jesus has extended to us. Now, how do I receive this gift? Well, on the day when the church began back in the first century in, in Jerusalem, 10 days after Jesus had returned to heaven, an audience of listeners were convicted by the gospel message that was preached to them, and they asked what they must do to respond to the offer of the, the gift of life from Christ. We read about it in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 36. It says, Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 41 goes on to say, Those who accepted his message were baptized, 
And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I think it's great that 2,000 years later, that hasn't changed. This is still the way we respond to Christ's gift. When we believe fully in him, are sorry for our sins, and we identify ourselves with him by confessing our faith and being baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, we embark on this, this journey with him. So the final question is, well, what is the result? And the result is we move from death to life, from being lost to being found. We go from being guilty to being declared innocent. Since Jesus has already endured the punishment for our sins, we receive the gift of his Holy Spirit coming to take up residence and, and live in our lives and serve as a conscience and, and help guide us in decisions. We discover the abundant life, life to the fullest. Eternal life is the gift that keeps on giving even after our time here on earth is, is over. Being found in Christ and having the assurance of his gift of eternal life changes everything. Even the sting of losing a loved one to death is softened when that person is a Christian and has embraced this gift of purpose which, which Jesus offers. My wife, Johnny, has, has taught preschool for, for many years and Several years ago, she wrote a letter to the parents of her preschool class, which said, I want to take this opportunity to share a, a precious Christmas gift, which your child gave the Lord and me when preparing to take our class group Christmas picture. After I helped the, the children get dressed into their Christmas costumes, I, I had them play in the different centers in the room while I went into the adjoining room to retrieve the manger containing the, the baby Jesus doll. I placed the manger in the book area where we were going to take this nativity picture. And one of the, the children, Linnea, walked over to the manger and began singing sweetly, Oh, come let us adore him. The remaining children left what they were doing, encircled the manger, and joined in singing their spontaneous praise. What a precious moment. Johnny wrote, each day when we begin our circle time, we pray that whatever we do and say that day will make God smile. I definitely think he was smiling on that day. We love him. Because he first loved us. We give gifts because he first gave to us. C.S. Lewis, another agnostic turned Christian, said, If the basic Christian thesis is true and Jesus is the Son of God, then you can never be the same after you discover that as you were before. You cannot fit Jesus at the end of a microscope or a telescope and say, how interesting. He is not interesting, Lewis continues. He is profoundly, morally, and spiritually 
disturbing and challenging. If there is anybody who forces us to get off the fence and enter the field of moral commitment, it is Christ. If he is God, he deserves our worship. And then C.S. Lewis went on to pose the, the great trilemma. He said Jesus was one of three things. He was either a lunatic, a person on the level of a poached egg with delusions of grandeur, or he was a liar, intentionally duping the unsuspecting, or he is the Lord, as he claimed to be. Those are the only available options, Lewis said. Don't patronize me with any theories about him being a great moral teacher. He didn't leave us that option. Either he was crazy, a fraud, or he is the Son of God. I believe he is the Lord. And as Lord, he has the authority to tell us how to live our lives. He knows that we will derive the greatest results in life when we do things according to his teachings. God designed it so that it really can be a wonderful life. Because of Jesus, your life can have purpose. It can take on meaning. You can find fulfillment. He gave his life so that you can have life and have it to the full here on earth and have it forever in heaven. I want to ask you to bow your heads, and I'm going to share a Christmas prayer. This was penned originally by Robert Louis Stevenson. But listen carefully to it and, and make it your prayer this morning. Loving Father, help us to remember the birth of Jesus, that we may share in the song of the angels, the gladness of the shepherds, and the worship of the wise men. Close the door of hate and open the door of love all over the world. Let kindness come with every gift and good desires with every greeting. Deliver us from evil by the blessing which Christ brings and teach us to be merry with clear hearts. May the Christmas morning make us happy to be thy children and the Christmas evening bring us to our beds with grateful thoughts, forgiving and forgiven for Jesus' sake. Amen. I like the way the message version of the Bible paraphrases John 3, 16 and 17. It reads, This is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger and tell the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. And that is love of another kind. This morning, we, we offer a time of decision. What do you give to someone who already has everything? The only way that we can reciprocate God's most generous gift to us 
is to give him the gift of ourselves in return. I'm going to invite you to stand as, as we sing together. If you're ready, will you give him your life today?